0: The 2024 presidential race takes shape.
1: We've created more jobs in two years than any presidential term in American history.
0: President Biden touts his economic agenda.
1: When will you announce your re-election, sir?
0: When I announce it. Still offering no clues about his expected announcement of a re-election bid. Plus, this feels like MAGA country. Dueling Republican events offer a preview of the party's divide. The woke left states are failing and the freedom-focused states are succeeding. As contenders for the GOP's presidential nomination, sharpen their messages and gear up for 2024. Next. This is Washington Week. Good evening and welcome to Washington Week. I'm Jeff Bennett. The political jockeying of candidates vying to win the 2024 presidential election began in earnest this week, as President Biden and high-profile Republicans made moves aimed at defining their campaign messages. For his part, President Biden met with House and Senate Democrats, hoping to rally the party as he weighs when to announce his likely re-election bid. On Wednesday, he touted the economic impact of their legislative victories.
1: Deficit, It's fiscally responsible,
2: but well, we got more to do.
0: But for Republicans, two high-profile GOP events this week highlight the party's current divide and its playing out among the announced and expected candidates for the 2024 presidential nomination. The Conservative Political Action well, Conference, known as CPAC, is, is, the underway the Maryland Maryland right is underway in Maryland right now. The event features several Republicans tied to former President Donald Trump, including his son, Don Jr. We need a president that is not owned by other people, right? There's a reason the billionaire class, even the billionaire conservative news class, wants someone other than Trump. The former president is set to deliver the keynote speech Saturday evening, but in Florida, just three miles away from the former president's Mar a Lago home, The Club for Growth is hosting a small, exclusive GOP retreat that he was not invited to attend. But Trump's top rival, Governor Ron DeSantis, was a featured speaker. Other notable possible presidential candidates choosing the Club for Growth over CPAC include former Vice President Mike Pence and South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. Joining us to talk about this and more are Carl Hulse, chief Washington correspondent for The New York Times, and here at the table Sungmin Kim, White House reporter for the Associated Press, And Michael Scherer, national political reporter for The Washington Post. Welcome, one and all. So, as we mentioned, there has been a lot of jockeying this this past week among the presidential uh, hopefuls for 2024. We're going to talk about the Republicans in a bit. But let's start with the man who currently occupies the Oval Office, President Biden. Has not yet announced his reelection bid. It's widely expected. The president is famously deliberative. <laughs> so I mean, what's he, what's he waiting for? Dr. Jill Biden told the Associated Press, your right. colleague Darlene Superville, that it's all ready to go. What's what's happening behind the scenes?
3: Right, right. Well, whenever you've talked to White House aides, to Biden's advisors, they've always kind of pointed to the timeline that former President Barack Obama laid out in tw- uh, in 2011. That is, he launched his re-election campaign in April. So they have always kind of hinted that April 2023 is when President Joe Biden would formally launch his re-election bid. And obviously, if you start in April, that's the start of a fundraising quarter. They can have a Bafo three months of raising money. That's good for the momentum. Of of a campaign and uh, as you said Jill Biden told my car uh, my colleague Darlene Superville that basically all that's left is um, all that's left is a time and a place and how you're going to announce it so it looks like barring some major turn of events that he is uh, he is prepar- preparing for a re-election bid I think it just kind of looks like he's taking his time because of we see so much of the action on the Republican side gearing mm-hmm. up um, but he's gonna have some major uh, concerns to overcome obviously he's gonna face non uh, Democratic primary challenges. But you do see that his approval rating remains stubbornly low, despite the Democratic Party's relative successes in the midterms and also his administrative administration's legislative accomplishments. And that kind of that kind of uh, standing among voters is something that he's going to have to address. He's going to have to go out there and sell his accomplishments much more, which was a big part of his message to both House and Senate Democrats this week. And Michael, let's
0: talk more about that. I mean, how does the Biden team feel about his standing? His approval rating right now stands at 44%, according to Real Clear Politics. Yet, you know, the, the DNC has adopted his preferred primary calendar. Uh, <laughs> this White House is focused on implementing his historic legislative agenda. Like, they like to use that phrase a lot. But the polling shows a lack of enthusiasm among Democrats, not because of his job approval, but because of his age. I think that's right. I I'm I mean, the DNC
1: has gone almost as far as they can to canceling the primary. They said there's not going to be debates. They've given no window for any challengers to come forward. They're going to get any help. Um, you know, right now, if you talk to Biden's advisors, they will tell you, yeah, those poll numbers are real. We see those poll numbers. But those poll numbers are without a Republican opponent. And and what we know about the last few cycles is, once you get a Republican opponent, Democrats tend to get pretty enthusiastic. And and I think there is some hope that uh, a rather ugly uh, Republican primary process, which is where we're headed, will lead independent voters who are now, you know, 40 percent for uh, 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 approving of Biden's job performance, uh, to start thinking, oh, well, maybe the boring old guy isn't so bad after all, and and as they always say, and incumbent relax. This is a choice, mm-hmm. uh, you know, between two candidates, and and that's what they're they're depending on. I do think, though, I mean, I think the way to think about this is there is no Biden campaign yet. We'll probably get that in April, but Biden has a campaign and he's running right now. And and what we've seen over the last few weeks, the trip to Europe. The, the speaking events uh, here, the State of the Union, is Biden traveling and delivering political messages over and over again and showing, wait, he can do a stump speech. We never even saw this in 20, in 2020 because of COVID. He wasn't out there on the trail. He's going to be out there. It won't be as rigorous as, you know, we're used to in, in some other cycles. But they're trying to show him alive, moving, you know, hammering the old uh, Democratic talking yeah. points because, honestly, that is the way to deal with the age issue. They, they have to show him on camera, performing on a daily basis. And over time, that will will begin to work away at these concerns. Like during the
0: State of the Union address, where he was negotiating with Republicans in real time. Carl Holst, there was this issue that arose this this past week that is being viewed through the lens of the 2024 race. And that was President Biden saying that he will support this Republican-backed bill that would reverse Washington, D.C.'s criminal justice uh, reforms, a move that angered some members of his own party, uh, but that allows the president to avoid Republican criticism that he and other Democrats are soft on crime.
2: Yeah, I think if you wanted an indication that Joe Biden's running, this was a really good one, right? They, he was, he was confronted with a problem they really didn't expect. Republicans and on the Hill have, have glommed on to this pretty arcane thing called, that uh, my colleagues there know about, called a resolution of disapproval. And they kind of boxed in the Democrats on this new criminal code in D.C., where there's been, uh, you know, a a big swing of uh, carjackings and homicides, but at the same time, this new code would lower some of the penalties for that. Biden came out originally and said, hey, I'm going, I'm against this. Uh, But he never said that he would veto it. The pressure was mounting on Democrats to, to approve it. They're worried about their own 2024 prospects. And so Biden shows up at the luncheon with Senate Democrats on Thursday, says right out of the box that he is going to sign it and let it become law. And uh, he left some Democrats hanging, and you're hearing some anger from the District of Columbia, which likes its autonomy, and you're hearing anger from Democrats who went and voted for this, thinking that President Biden was going to back them. But I think Joe Biden looked at this and said, well, I don't want to be soft on crime. And as we all know, Joe Biden has had a complicated history. You know, he had a big 1994 crime bill. It sort of came back to bite him in the uh, 2020 presidential uh, where he had to, he actually called it a mistake, I think, at one point, mm-hmm. uh, the 1994 bill, and then had to uh, take this position this week. So uh, Joe's running. We all know it. I think <laughs> I want to agree with my colleagues there, too, that uh, this what you're going to hear from the Democrats is a lot of, hey, look what we did. They want to talk about uh, the historic run of legislation they had with the Inflation Reduction Act infrastructure. Uh, Chuck... Schumer calls this his implementation agenda. You're going to see Joe Biden at groundbreakings around the country. They don't think that people are getting the message uh, of what Democrats accomplished, and they want to really pound that home. And I think you're going to hear a lot about that over the next year and a half.
0: Is that what you're hearing from your post at the at the White House? And and how are Democrats responding uh, to the way that this this bill was handled? The president says he supports DC's ability to self self self-govern, but he has issues with some provisions in this crime bill.
3: Right, right. Well, I think the also important dynamic to remember is that we're talking about 2024, not just for Joe Biden, but for Democratic senators. And the 2024 map for Senate Democrats is as brutal of a map as we have seen in some time, meaning that you have senators such as John Tester and Joe Manchin and Sherrod Brown who are fighting for reelection in states that are very reliably, you know, red. You're talking about West Virginia, Montana, and Ohio. And I think that um, instead of kind of vetoing this bill, and you know, a, 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 and putting these red state senators, senators who who Democrats need to keep their majority. But Joe Biden decided to help them out. So I think that's another dynamic we need to remember here. But I can tell you House Democrats were furious. I mean, my sources tell me that House leadership was under the impression, whether they were explicitly told by the White House or not is a point of contention, that Joe Biden would actually veto this legislation when it came to it. So the fact that that this happened yesterday, they were informed uh, as this basically was happening when House Democrats were at their retreat in Baltimore. And they were certainly blindsided because this was not what they expected from the White House. And it's actually remarkable, too, because... Because you know, I don't want to get too processy. But the one thing that the Biden I love
0: process. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go way deep into the weeds. But the one thing that
3: the Biden White House is good at is legislative affairs. I mean, this is Joe Biden. He was a senator for thirty-six years. So to see this kind of uh, miscommunication uh, with the White House and, and its allies on the Hill is a very unusual circumstance.
0: Well, let's talk about the Republicans, shall we? Because there were these two dueling, high-profile gatherings of Republicans. We have CPAC featuring former President Donald Trump and then Club for Growth featuring Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, really showcasing the the deepening divide within the GOP. And, and Michael, CPAC has largely been remade in the image of of Donald Trump. He was the headliner this year, along with uh, another, uh, several other uh, sort of, other Republicans who have pushed election conspiracies and election lies or some other fringe characters who were there. Uh, but you have reporting that, that Donald Trump's campaign really has this strategy to boost his standing among delegates heading into the nominating convention next summer.
1: Yeah, I, I think we're, we're entering a very different cycle than we are used to the last few times for Republicans. You know, normally at this point, when you don't have a reelect, you're saying, oh, it's a wide-open field, nobody knows what's going to be happen, it's all going to be crazy. But you have these real giant power centers right now in the Republican Party, and you actually have a pretty small field, relatively. It's not 20 people running for president. It's maybe eight, maybe nine, maybe seven. We're not sure yet. Um, and, and within that, Donald Trump looms enormously. Not only does he have CPAC basically under his control, this used to be, a, you know, a forum for all conservatives to come fight with each other. Um, He has a think tank out there uh, that's basically working just for him, uh, you know, with a whole policy staff who are giving him his ideas. And then you have these sort of rival groups of donors. The Club for Growth is one of them. The Koch Network has one. Um, There's some other smaller ones that try and uh, operate a little more quietly. These are very wealthy people, generally. They put lots of money into elections. And for the most part, they have decided they don't want Trump to be the nominee again, and they're trying to figure out how to make that happen. And so Trump is not invited to their party. Either, and so you have these giant power centers sort of jockeying for, for control. The two big uh, names, obviously, are Ron DeSantis and, and uh, the former president, uh, and then you have five or six of these other candidates who are trying to find their place uh, uh, at the table when when they're they're still sort of in the in the child seats. They're not getting yeah. the same attention yeah. Yeah. as
0: everyone else. Carl, I hear you laughing. <laughs> <laughs> How do you see the undercurrents here? Because Club for Growth, they pumped two million dollars into Ron DeSantis' uh, gubernatorial reelection bid. They're clearly looking for the anti-Trump or someone other than Trump. Right. This is going to be
2: this is going to be one of the more fascinating uh, primary seasons on that side, I think, in, in my experience. Uh, but Trump still holds considerable sway. So how do they how do they break that grip? And you see, especially among Republicans in the House, there's still this strong allegiance to Trump. So I think you're seeing some of these other people tiptoe out a little bit. Nikki Haley, obviously, the former South Carolina governor and U.N. ambassador, way more than tiptoeing out. And I think the other Republicans are waiting to see, you know, how she fares. I think then in the Senate, you have a different dynamic, where there's a, among the leadership, there's a big search for somebody besides Donald Trump. And they like their colleague, many of them Tim Scott. So is he going to become a real candidate, or is he mainly running for vice president? you know, it's, it's and then CPAC, uh, I, you know, everybody avoided it this year. There were a lot of reasons for it. But you didn't see the, the leadership members of Congress who usually would go out there and talk. So while we, we have Biden playing his waiting game and whatever he's doing, uh, the Democrats are happy when they watch what's going on with the Republicans right now. They they want them to totally bloody each other and make it easier for Joe Biden. And I think there's actually pretty good potential for that, right? Isn't that Donald Trump's M.O.? Uh, he's going to take on the people who take him on, and he's going to make uh, life rough for them. So uh, it's just going to be a real slugfest and probably going to be uh, pretty ugly at the end of it.
1: Michael, I, I think there is a there's an interesting one-two punch that Trump is playing here. You're right; he's going to make this a, a bar brawl by by the end of it. But right now, what you see him doing is very small events, policy-focused events. Like, who ever thought, you know, <laughs> Donald Trump would be doing policy-focused events? He's he's coming out with new proposals for sort of obscure ideas of you know bonuses for having children or incentives for building new cities. Um, and he's trying to reestablish himself as a veteran politician, which is very off-brand for him in a way, right? As someone who could come in and do this again, who has ideas, who knows how to uh, uh, do the presidency. And then we're going to get, later in the season, once we get on the debate stage and once the ads start going, the old brawling name-calling Trump. So hmm. it's it's going to be very interesting. Um, and, and I think A lot of people, a lot of opponents of Trump in the Republican Party are sort of, uh, you know, white-knuckled now, wondering whether their chosen candidates can take those punches, because we haven't seen Ron DeSantis ever really get punched. We haven't seen uh, Nikki Haley go toe-to-toe with him, you know, Tim Scott. Mike Pence has had his rounds, but arguably hasn't done very well, uh, at least with Republican primary voters.
0: Well, well, to your point, uh, Governor DeSantis hasn't been tested on the national stage, but it appears he's gearing up for it, Sungmin, because according to some reporting from CNN, He spoke for 40 minutes at the Club for Growth retreat this week. And while he didn't talk about the 2024 race, he did talk about his view of the culture wars. He said this, I'm going on offense. Some of these Republicans, they just sit back like potted plants and they let the media define the terms of the debate. They let the left define the terms of the debate. They take all this incoming because they're not making anything happen. And I said, that's not what we're doing. There are Democrats who say that uh, Ron DeSantis is a demagogue. There are Republicans who bristle at his use of executive power to bully, they say, uh, private companies. DeSantis here is saying, I'm going all in.
3: Right, right. And he also has a book out this week, which is a sure sign, a sure tail sign that <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. Uh, running for running for higher office. And I think the really interesting dynamic that DeSantis brings into this debate is, to de- this debate is how much he's leaning into these cultural wars. He clearly sees that as his lane in the Republican Party, he, the kind of that can seize on those brand of voters without having that brand of Trump with him. And I also, the, the debate that's emerging, especially among the Republican presidential field, as kind of still in formation as it is, is is DeSantis' approach towards corporations, towards, big, towards uh, business. You saw his standoff with Disney again come to the fore this week, kind of revoking that special tax status that Disney has had in Florida. And we've always just thought of the Republican Party as this very kind of classic pro-business, chamber of commerce, limited government uh, Republican Party. And DeSantis is throwing that out the window. And it's really... It will be really fascinating to see if Republican primary voters in this day and age respond to that.
0: What about that, Carl Hulse? I mean, have Republicans sort of learned the lesson of the 2022 midterms that going back to that well of the culture wars doesn't always deliver in the way that they want electorally?
2: Right, especially when you consider what happened uh, with abortion. I do think there's a big split among Republicans still about in some ways, the establishment Republican, let's say Mitch McConnell, who still is a big business type Republican, you know, he, he supported the chips bill and they want to foster business. And you have this new, more populist uh, brand of Republican, you know, we're fighting for the little guy. We hate big business, which, of course, is why uh, some of the big Business money is is uh, is being diffused throughout this. You know about Desantis. One thing I find interesting is our, he's he's also running against us. we the media is a, is a major opponent uh, to Ron DeSantis, and he's really limiting his media access. I know it's kind of inside baseball, but it's, can you run a national political campaign without engaging? Uh, with the media on the level that at least we would expect from uh, uh, candidates. I think that's going to be interesting to play out, and, and, you know, maybe he's going to prove that it can be done. He's, yeah.
1: he, he's really also redefining what it means to be a conservative. Yeah. Like the the, it's not just limited government. It was, you know, government was not the solution. That was, you know, uh, Ronald Reagan said government's the problem, right. right? Right now, Ron DeSantis is traveling the country. He's just written a book that says no government is the solution. Government is how you go after higher education. Government is how you go after right, right. woke corporations. Yeah. Government is how you go after big tech. I mean, he he passed a law. In, uh, in Florida that requires uh, all social media companies to keep accounts for anyone who's a candidate in that in in the state of Florida. That's a remarkable thing for a conservative to do, to tell a private (laughs) company that you have to put on someone who's spouting whatever they're spouting on your private service. So I think it's a discussion that conservatives haven't really had, like rank-and-file conservatives haven't really had it amongst themselves. It's kind of been in the air for a while since Trump came along, but we're walking into a pretty fascinating time.
0: You know, to your point, it would have been political malpractice for a governor to attack the marquee business in his or her state the right. way that DeSantis went after Disney. But it would appear that he read that landscape correctly right. because he emerged from that uh, with a higher approval rating and he won re-election. Well, I mean, and, and he didn't just attack the business, he attacked the business for opposing his
1: policy. Hmm. It, was, it was like the crime Disney committed in Florida was opposing an education bill that he supported had nothing to do with Disney, so it wasn't even a debate over corporate subsidies
0: or something like that. Yeah, thirty seconds left. What's the?
3: Well, I was thinking along those lines. I mean, again, consider the source. But I believe that Ron DeSantis recounted in his book that's coming out this week that he he talked about how the leader of Disney kind of came to him and told him how much pressure he was under because of these policies. And again, that's Ron DeSantis' recounting of that uh, of that discussion, but really does kind of show him as strong against this so-called. Woke corporation.
0: Well, we have a lot to cover in the in the weeks and months to come. Sungmin, Michael, Carl, thank you all. And that is Washington Week for tonight. Thanks to our panel for joining us, and for sharing your reporting. And thanks to you for watching. And don't forget to tune into PBS News Weekend for the latest efforts to safeguard the 99% of the world's oceans currently without legal protection. I'm Jeff Bennett. Good night from Washington.